Good evening. It is good to see you as always. We're thankful for your presence here and another opportunity to assemble together and study and worship our Heavenly Father who is certainly worthy of the very best that we have to offer. If you have your Bibles and you're in the book of Philippians, that'll be great because we'll spend our time there. I don't know how long ago I read this, but the, the saying went, uh, life turns out best for those who make the best out of the way life turns out. And it had to do with positivity and the way we think. And I really think that's what we find here in the book of Philippians. Paul's perspective is what I've called our study. And we'll spend some time here in the evenings talking and kind of walking through this book and learning about Paul's perspective on life. Uh, the book of Philippians is generally thought of as a positive epistle, and I believe that's right. It is a very positive book as we work our way through it. The church was faithful. They had been very supportive of Paul and had provided the means for him to do his mission work. The church, however, was not, not exactly perfect because they did have some challenges, as every church does and did. And you can see that by some of the admonitions that Paul addresses. It appears that unity seemed to be a concern, or at least maybe the fracturing of it possibly. Notice a couple of these things that Paul says throughout the book. For instance, chapter 1 and verse 27. There Paul exhorts, only conduct yourselves in the manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come or see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Maybe it was a concern, or at least the beginnings of a concern, and Paul wanted to exhort them. I want you to stand together, strive together, one mind. Notice also chapter 2, maybe some seeds of selfishness and some self-centeredness. Chapter 1 opens, therefore, is there any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. Make my joy complete, again, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit intent on one purpose. Notice verse number three, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Oftentimes you can learn what's going on in the churches by what the apostles write to them by way of exhortation. And here, again, Paul seems to mention this idea of unity, having one mind, avoiding selfishness, self-centeredness, seems to be a struggle with joy. He says that throughout the book. Notice chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2. Here he says, finally, brethren. He's already said it multiple times, but finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you. It seems also that false teachers may have been making their way as they had troubled so many congregations. Seems to be troubling this one as well. Chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I've told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. 
whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly or appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. It just seems that as positive as the book is and as faithful as the church was, that there may have been some concerns, maybe small at the time, Paul is addressing them and encouraging them to continue to be faithful. I believe the book is so positive for several reasons. Number one, Paul is constantly exhorting them to rejoice. He's constantly saying, have joy in Christ. Chapter 1 and verse 18, chapter 2, verse 16, 17, 18, verse 28, 3, 1, 3, 3, 4, 4. He finally says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The second reason, I believe, is that Paul is so personal in the book. He uses the word I several times, and he talks about himself and his outlook. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight and in the weeks ahead. Paul's perspective. Paul is a very positive person. The book then actually concerns itself with the Christian's outlook. You can hear almost in the background, 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, Be ye therefore followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul is going to share his perspective, his outlook. It's positive. And then he's going to exhort the saints to have the same outlook and to think like he does. Note a couple of these passages. For instance, chapter 2, we read down to verse number 3, but keep reading. He says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and humbled himself even unto the point of death, the death on the cross. Notice chapter 3 and verse 15, where here, Paul just, he just says it. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. As many of us as are mature, complete, perfect, let us have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal even that to us. Notice chapter 4, lastly, and verse 8 and verse number 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatever is right and pure, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent and is there anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And then verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Often what Paul says in this book is, to me. That's what leads me to the idea of perspective. Paul says, to me, and then he will state something. In other words, this is the way I see it. This is the way I think about it. This is how I process it, to me, and then he'll tell us something. Sometimes when we think about the Apostle Paul, we don't always think he also had to grow. The perspective he has now probably was not the perspective he had as a new babe back in Acts chapter 9 where his conversion is first recorded. He also grew. In fact, he says as much in this book. In chapter 4, he says, I have learned whatever state I am in therewith to be content. 
every person of faith grows over time. Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 is not the same as Abraham in chapter 12. Moses is not the same in Exodus 3 as he will be in Exodus 32. Everybody grows. That's the expectation of Scripture. That's the expectation of us. Paul says to me, chapter 1 and verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I tell you about his growth because sometimes we read passages and people say, well, I, I don't feel that way. Well, Paul says, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is not to say that we shouldn't grow to that point, but it might be the case that I haven't grown there yet. Sometimes when people approach the subject of death, they want the brakes to be applied and they say, not me. It's a great discussion and have somebody else, but not me. I'm not ready. Well, that's not Paul. And if you were in Paul's position, maybe having grown and experienced the things he had, you might feel the same way. But he says to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Chapter 3 and verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Chapter 3 and verse 7, but what things were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. What I want to do in the time we have remaining, and I feel like you are much safer in the evening than you are at the 10 o'clock hour. <laughs> I just feel that way. We want to begin walking through chapter 1 and look at two things with regards to Paul's perspective, just two. We're not going to even finish chapter 1. We'll just look at two thoughts. But we want to ask the question and encourage you to consider your outlook. How is your perspective? How's your outlook on life, on God, on yourself, on the world, on brethren, on the church? How's your perspective? Because that's what's being discussed. Paul will use his perspective and then encourage us, chapter 3, verse 15, those of us who are perfect to be like-minded. What's the first perspective that Paul speaks about? It's actually his perspective toward the brethren. And it's positive and it's affectionate. You can see that in the first four verses. Just listen to the things that he says. I, Paul, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. There's the organization of the world, Lord's church. You'd be hard-pressed to say it better than that. There are bishops and deacons and saints. That's the church. And Paul says, I'm writing to those people. What does he write? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I've heard people sadly talk about the church and it's anything but good. I've heard people talk about their brethren and it's anything but good. That's not Paul's perspective on the church. Paul's perspective on God and his people is that he are, is very affectionate toward them. Verse 3, I thank God for you. Verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my prayer for you all. Let me just ask you, are you in constant prayer for the brethren? Constant prayer for the family members? Not just when we get sick. Paul didn't say, I'm praying for you because you're sick. That's not what he says. He says, I thank God for you, and I am always offering prayer for you. He begins to explain what he's praying and why he's thankful, beginning in verse number five. He is, first of all, thankful for their help. 
He says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. That word participation sometimes rendered fellowship, joint participation. We're partners in this thing. I'm thankful for your partnership. I'm prayerful for you and appreciative of your partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing he says about them is, I'm praying for your growth. I'm praying that you will continually spiritually mature. Notice verses 6 down to verse number 9. He says, first of all, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you, he will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is confident that God is working in them and that God will accomplish and complete that work. Secondly, he says, I have you close to me. You're in my heart. Notice verse 7, verse number 8. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because you are in my heart he says, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of me with grace. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Can you hear all of that language of closeness and endearment, affection in my heart? You're in my prayers. I long for you. Is that your perspective of the church? Shouldn't it be all of our perspective? What a blessing it is to be a part of the Lord's kingdom. What a blessing it is to be a part of the Lord's family. And when we think of her and the members that make her up, it should be positive. It should be thankful. It should be prayerful. What's his prayer for them? Continued growth. Notice verse 9 down to verse number 11. And this I pray. What's your prayer, Paul? that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I have you in my heart, and I'm thankful for you, and I'm praying for you that you will mature, that you will increase in your knowledge and your discernment. This idea of discernment is not simply uh, the judgment, if you will, between good and evil. That's great. And that's where we all should start. You and I should know the difference between light and darkness and good and evil and blessings and cursing. We should be able to distinguish those rather easily. But that's not exactly what Paul prays. Paul starts there and says, but I am praying that you may prove and discern between the good and the excellent. This is not right or wrong. This is good to better. I want you to mature and to increase, to have spiritual insight into the things that are excellent. I want you to go forward. I don't want you to stay where you are. I don't want you to regress and go backward. No, I want you to go forward and improve. I want you to increase and abound. Paul's perspective toward the brethren is positive. It's loving. It's caring. It's praying. It's thankfulness. Secondly, Paul begins to talk about his perspective in suffering. And he says three things that we will note relative to his suffering and the perspective that he has on it. And it would be best and ideal to get your perspective on suffering before you suffer. 
Sometimes people wait too long to figure out how they feel about God. No, 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 let's square that away now. Do that in peacetime so that you are ready when the hard times comes. The Apostle Paul tells us his perspective, and it didn't change in suffering. He just revealed it. What's his perspective? Begin reading with me the first part of verse number 12. Paul says, now I want you to know, brethren, and even that thought is rather important because proper information, properly thought of, is the key to a proper perspective. Now that's a lot of proper, so I'll give you another shot at that. You first of all need the right information, proper information. You need that. Secondly, you need to think about that properly. The proper information is great, but if you reason poorly, then it doesn't do you much good. You need the proper information, yes, and then you need to properly reason about that. And that will give you the proper perspective. That's what Paul says to these brethren. He says, brethren, listen, I want you to know something. I want you to be informed. I want to provide for you the right information. And then when I give you that information, I want you to think about that information properly. And if you'll do that, you will reach the right conclusion and have the right perspective. Paul's proper perspective is this. There are benefits to suffering. That's his perspective. He's going to share three of those benefits and then, well, wow, I'm already surprised we'll close and go eat, well, some of y'all will eat some cake. We will close in just a minute, right around the corner. What are those three things? Second half of verse number 12 begins the first one. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstance have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That's what he wanted them to know. What is the first perspective? That my suffering has furthered the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you were asked, what would you be willing to endure to further the gospel, what would you say? Somebody said, this endurance, this action, if you go through this, you will help spread the gospel. What would you do? Would you be willing to be arrested? That's what happened to Paul. He was not only arrested, would you be willing to be imprisoned? That's what happened to Paul. He was not only imprisoned and arrested, he was beaten. This is all in Acts chapter 16. Those things that happened to him, that's what happened to him. You, you know the account well. Acts chapter 16, verse number 25, he and Silas are in the prison singing and praying. That's what he's talking about. And he says, brethren, listen, what happened to me has furthered the gospel. I was thinking about this passage, and I was wondering, how was Paul and the jailer ever going to meet otherwise? Paul probably had no idea I needed to go to his workstation. I need to go to his job so that I can reach him with the gospel. And sure enough, the apostle Paul is in prison. Do you have your Bibles? Look over there at Acts chapter 16. There's this phrase I want you to read with me. I don't know when I first read it, but the moment I read it, it kind of stuck in my mind. I just thought, wow, that is really, really something about the Apostle Paul. It's there in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 25, where after the arrest, the Bible says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. It's the last phrase, and the prisoners heard them. 
I often wonder to myself, what would I have been doing? What would have happened at that moment is my perspective would have come out. Whatever perspective I had would have been displayed. Maybe you've heard the one about the waiter who was carrying around a, a, a platter full of soup, and as he was going through the restaurant, someone bumped him and soup spilled out, to which someone observed, that's kind of like people. You don't know what's inside until they get bumped. Well, listen, if you get arrested and beaten and in prison, you've been bumped. What comes out? What came out of Paul and Silas was singing and praying. I've wondered if the prisoners heard that, would they have also heard cursing and complaining and murmuring? Paul says, brethren, I want you to understand something. I want to provide you the right information so that it will affect your perspective. And here is point number one. The things that happened to me have furthered the gospel. That's my perspective on the way I see that. What's number two? Paul says in verse number 13, it spread the name of Jesus. Verse number 13 says, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. I'll ask you again, what would you be willing to endure if everyone at your job could be exposed to Jesus Christ? But if it cost you something, what would you be willing to pay? Paul says, my bonds in Christ, you know what they've done? They provided an opportunity in the palace and in all places for the name of Jesus to go places and to be heard by people who never would have heard it. Paul has actually done nothing new, really, in this regard. I mean, he has a great perspective, the right perspective, but it is a faithful perspective because everyone of faith has done the same thing. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, that's what you're reading. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, what did they do? They had the right perspective under challenging circumstances. Many of them, as the writer will say later in the chapter, some were sawn asunder. Some died. Some were mocked and put in case. What did they do? They provided the right perspective. That's what Paul does here. Abraham, leave your people. He did. Moses, go back to Egypt. He did. What would I endure if I knew it would spread the name of Jesus Christ. Paul says, this imprisonment that I have endured, it has furthered the gospel. It has spread the name of Jesus. Thirdly, he says, it has strengthened the brethren. Verse number 14. Paul says, and, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more confidence and courage to speak the name of God without fear. What would you be willing to do or endure if you knew your endurance would strengthen the brethren? Paul's positive attitude in prison helped the brethren. In fact, when they saw Paul and what he went through and how he handled it, Paul said they took courage. When those who lean on us are in peril, those who we lean on are in peril, 
How they handle that peril goes a long way to determine how those who lean on them will handle it. In fact, I think about Jesus in the garden. We find him in the garden. He is praying, but he's not panicking. He goes to Calvary without complaint, ultimately requesting the the forgiveness of those who did those things to him, not knowing what they did. And then you think about what that did to the apostles. Peter did deny Jesus, but he came back. And in Acts chapter 4, when they are arrested by maybe some on the same audience and maybe some on the same court, the Bible says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know the way Jesus handled it, strengthened the brethren. And then Jesus said to Peter, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 and 5 were beaten. You know, they went back to the church and they prayed. They didn't pray for it to stop. They prayed for boldness. And in Acts chapter 8, when the church is persecuted, the Bible says, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Where would they have gotten that strength and that courage to go do that in the face of persecution? They just saw the apostles do it. And now here is Paul. Arrested falsely, imprisoned falsely, beaten, and the man who did that to him in part fell at his feet and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the way Paul handled that, Paul says, many of the brethren saw it. They saw the way we handled ourselves, and they took courage. Please understand. You're not just looking to other people for strength. Somebody's looking to you. Somebody's listening to you. Somebody's hearing you under time of stress and difficulty and hardship. And you and I, with our perspective, can do one or two things. We can strengthen them. We can help them. We can encourage and embolden them. Or we can weaken them and trouble them and cause them great fear. Paul says, brethren, I want you to have the right perspective. I want you to know something. The things that have happened to me have furthered the gospel. The things that have happened to me have spread the name of Jesus. The things that have happened unto me have strengthened the brethren. Paul was a positive person. Even in prison, he was positive. It's interesting that the man who is in prison is writing to those who are free, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You and I, as God's people, need to have the right perspective on God, on ourselves, on the world, on suffering for the cause of Christ, and on the brethren. We can be positive people. In fact, I would urge we need to be because we share the same reason Paul was so positive. This is, again, one of those things of reading the Bible. You can just breeze through it so quickly, and I didn't intend to do this on purpose. It just happened. We just missed a lot of the verses. Why was Paul so positive? He wrote it over and over again in this first chapter. Go back to verse number one and look at what he says. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of who? Of Christ Jesus. You will find Christ again in verse two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and 
the Lord Jesus Christ. You will find Christ in verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be perfected until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 8, God is my witness. How long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus, verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the bonds of Christ has begun known throughout all the whole praetorian guard to everyone else, verse 14, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord— why was Paul so positive Christ? In fact, he'll say at the end of the book, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christianity does not subscribe to the notion of fake it till you make it. Christianity just gives you the right reason to rejoice in the first place. And it's Jesus Christ. Will Christ be with you if you are falsely imprisoned? Yes. Will Christ be with you if you are beaten in prison? Yes. Will Christ stand with you if everybody else turns against you? Yes. Why was Paul so positive? It did not matter what the world did to him. Christ had already told him, I will never leave you or forsake you. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Paul had Jesus, and Jesus had Paul the right perspective, the proper perspective, Paul's spiritual perspective. Friends, if you're not a child of God, you need to be. You need to be a Christian. Nothing more, nothing less. You need to have this perspective. We don't go around saying things that aren't true. We don't fake it. No, we actually know that we know God is with his people, and he always will be. And we just need to have the right perspective toward him and toward this world. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Change your heart, change your mind, repent is what the Bible calls it, and change the direction and tone of your life. Confess the name of Jesus. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, and let God through Jesus save you from your sins. I'll end where we began. Christian friends, how's your perspective? How's your outlook on life? Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we can't have bad days and blue days and down days. We do. But you hear from a man who is in prison saying to the world, rejoice in the Lord. That should be our perspective. Two passages, and we'll close. John 15, 5, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Philippians 4, 13, Paul says, through Christ, I can do all things. Friends, that's the perspective of life. We can help you in any way. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.